Well, when I was in fifth grade, I made the transition from private school to public school. And uh, lots of changes in my life in fifth grade. Also became what uh, was referred to back in the day as a latchkey kid, meaning my mom and my dad both worked. They were blue-collar workers. And so I came home and had a key and would let myself inside. And they thought I was doing homework, but I was like watching Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley and some of the things we used to watch, He-Man um, and all that stuff. So on the, on the school bus, though, in the fifth grade, you can learn just about everything you need to know about life on the school bus in elementary school because everybody knows everything. But I can remember um, coming home one time and going into fifth grade into public school, I just faced some things that I'd never faced before. I saw some things I never saw before. There was a kid on the school bus. His name was Bill. Bill was in third grade. He lived in a trailer park near my house, and he had a single mom, and, and she was doing her best to raise Bill and some brothers. And, and Bill had a, an issue. Now, in today's world, people would say that Bill was special needs. But in the early 1980s, we didn't have that term. It, we said things in the 1980s that we wouldn't say today. And so the, the label that, got, that Bill got stuck with, and I can remember it as clear as day, is people on the bus called him retarded. Now, that's an offensive word. It's an offensive word today. It was an offensive word to me back then because I had an uncle that people called that word, and he wasn't. He was, he, he was functioning. He, he, was, he was a great human being, but people called him that word. And so I've always had a soft spot for special needs type situations. And so I can remember one day, and it didn't happen a lot, but there were, the three, there were these three guys. I can still remember their names. Um, they were picking on Bill. And they were calling him that word, I don't even want to say it again, over and over and over again. And it was one of those days where I just kind of felt like, you know, I've had enough. And so somebody needs to speak up. And so I was like, hey, guys, um, I, think, I think that's good. You know, I think, I think that's enough. And they, they, they were bullies. They turned their kind of wrath on me, which was fine. It got it away from Bill. And, and then they looked at Bill's a Thursday, and they told him, tomorrow when we get off the school bus, we're going we're gonna to beat you up. And so when we got off the school bus, I told Bill, I said, Bill, they're not going to beat you up tomorrow, man. I'm, I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be fine. And then several of my friends got off the school bus, and they're like, man, we're glad you said something because we're about to say something. Wait, man, we got your back tomorrow, man. We got your back. We got your back, man. I was like, man, thank you so much. And I knew going into that fight the next day because it was going to happen. I knew going into that fight I wasn't going alone. I was wrong. Next day, we got off the bus. I'll never forget. I got off the bus. Bill got off the bus. I said, you stand right here. I stood right here. The friends that had my back, they had my back. They were way back. They were so far back. Two of them had their mom come pick them up at the bus stop, and they just kind of drove off. And I can remember standing there, and it was me, three bullies, and Bill. And I had this thought in my mind. No one else is coming. I mean, this is a fight. Now, Pause real quick. I'm not advocating violence. I'm just telling y'all, a fight went down. I'm telling y'all, without going into details, I walked away. They didn't. I don't know how. Till this day, I don't have ninja skills. I don't have, I don't, I, I just, I don't know what happened. It just, I, I just was, I was, fi I wasn't fighting for me. I was fighting for him. And I remember walking away thinking, I remember standing there, though, before it went down going, no, 
no one else is, no one else is coming. Now, the reason I say that is not so we can go, go out and beat up bullies. I, I'm, I'm saying that because we live in a world, I feel like, that is going crazy. We live in a world that kind of bullies us around. In fact, when I look at the world that we live in today, I, three, I see three common characteristics across the board. Fear, uncertainty, and anger. And these are things that we see. It doesn't matter if you watch CNN or Fox or anywhere in between. The three things that are going to be communicated to us on a consistent basis is fear, uncertainty, and anger. Fear. You remember, and listen, I'm not saying it's not serious. I'm just saying, do you remember when COVID-19 first came out and they said between three and five million Americans were going to die before the end of the summer? How freaked out were you? Because I was freaked out. Fear. Fear sells everything. I read the other day, I, I pulled up a website, and it said, NASA says that an asteroid is going to hit Earth on Election Day. And I went... That would be awesome. Yes, God, take us out on election day so we don't have to go through this anymore. But it's fear. Everything is basically, everything wants to get us scared. And here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy. For the people that are most freaked out, they'll keep going back to this source over and over again. Uncertainty. Have you ever been as uncertain about our future in America as you are right now? No. Which way do we go? Because these people say this is going to happen. These people say this is going to happen. These people say this is going to happen. And there's so much uncertainty with the direction of the country, with the direction of our lives, and anger. I've never seen our country so divided on so many issues. Angry. Now, I wasn't alive during the 60s. I didn't see the Vietnam War protest. I didn't see the race riots in the 60s. But I'm telling you, what we're seeing today, let me just, when was the last time anger ever resolved a problem? Anger always makes it worse. Anger always makes it worse. I, I, I'm here to tell you that this describes our nation. For some of us in the room, this describes our life. And instead of fear, uncertainty, and anger, I sure would like to live with hope, joy, and peace. Like, I, like when, when I get up, like, have you ever had hope? Like, you wake up in the morning, and you're just like, I feel like today's going to be a great day. Have you ever had joy? And when I say joy, not related to circumstances. Just, I'm happy. I got a smile on my face. See, today in America, if you see somebody with a smile on their face, one of two thoughts. Either they're up to something or they're on something. Or maybe they're up to something because they're on something. I don't know. But, but something's wrong with that person right there. But I want joy and peace. Wouldn't you love to just know walking through any storm? It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. I'm going to survive this. But this comes right here. This hope, joy, and peace. Let me tell you something. Politics aren't going to bring it. Religion's not going to bring it. Movements aren't going to bring it. Church, I'm here to tell you something. Today, right now, is the church's opportunity to step up and step out. And here's why. Don't miss it. Nobody else is coming. Nobody else is coming. It's the church's job. If we want to see the world change, nobody else is coming, and we've got to step out and step into what God has called us to.
I'm going to show you this. I'm going to show you this in Scripture. Um, last week, we, we looked at Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to show you Matthew 16 again. We're going to go through the same Scripture, but we're going to look at it in a completely different way because I want everybody to see that the Word of God really is living and active. You can read something one day and then read it the next day and get something completely different out of it. So it's really cool. So is that okay if we go back to Matthew 16? I hope it is because it's what I studied for. Here we go. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Say that with me on three. One, two, three. Caesarea Philippi. That's very important. Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now I have a question. This is, this is a safe space. It's safe. It's safe. And notice my hand is up. Before I ask the question, I'm admitting this to all of you. I'm just kind of curious. How many people in the room have ever been to Las Vegas? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Oh, that's a lot of people. What is this second chance? <laughs> Those of you with your hands up, though, I'm just kind of curious. How many of you would love to discuss everything that you did in Las Vegas? Uh-uh. Nah, I, not me. My hand went down. See how quick that hand went down? Because we got a saying in America when it comes to Vegas. What happens in Vegas? Stay. Sometimes it does. Sometimes you bring it home and name it. But like sometimes, but, 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 but what happens in Vegas? I'm just calling it like I see it. <laughs> what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Now, I'll tell you all the reason I love to go to Vegas. I love the Cirque du Soleil shows are real good. I love food. Um, and I have never lost a dollar. Last time I was there, I lost 800, but I've never lost a dollar, all right? Never, never lost a dollar. Um, and so, I, but, but here's, here's what's funny about Vegas. Everybody knows Vegas. The nickname of Vegas is, does anybody know? Sin City. Sin City. Oh, we all knew that. Sin City. Because you can pretty much go there, and there's, like, everything's legal. Just uh, everything's legal. You can do whatever you want to do. And people, when you, when, when you tell somebody you went to Las Vegas, they, they go, oh. Kind of like that. You get judged right on the spot. The reason I bring that up, though, is Caesarea Philippi made Las Vegas look like Disney World. I mean, Caesarea Philippi was one of the most messed up places on the planet. Let me tell you how messed up it was, okay? They had a temple at Caesarea Philippi. I've actually been to this place. I've seen this, but the, the, the ruins and stuff. There was a temple there. In the middle of this temple, there was a crack. And steam from underground springs would come up from this crack. The people in this temple believed that this is where demons would ascend and descend from the earth and to the, to the earth. This is where they worshipped. So already, it's sketch. This was a temple built to the Greek goat god Pan. And in order to worship in this temple... Had to be willing to have sex with goats. I'm I'm out right there. You go to church with me? Nah, I'm good. <laughs> trying to trying to back off the whole goat thing. It's not good for you. Anyway, y'all stay with me. Stay with me. Get everybody back. Now, this is what, when I tell people that I've literally had people come up to me going, "Oh, Pastor P, man, you just made that up." 2,000 years ago in the ancient world, some of the stuff that people did, oh, by the way, some of the stuff people still do today, 
We live in, th- this was a messed up place. Caesarea Philippi was a messed up place with messed up people. Don't, get, don't miss this. Messed up place, messed up people. Probably the messiest people on the planet. And Jesus went there. See, Jesus didn't walk away from messy people and messy situations. And if Jesus didn't do it, his church shouldn't walk away from messy people and messy situations. Instead, instead, of, instead of stepping away from it, we should step into it. I love it because he's writing this. Matthew is the first gospel. He's writing to a primarily Jewish audience, so he brings up Caesarea Philippi because it had a shock effect on its original audience. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, now I want to show you how out of the way this was for Jesus. This is, this is, I kind of geek a little bit on this because when you really look at how Jesus made a point, when uh, let me just kind of show you the map. Here we go. This is the Dora coming out of me. It's the map, it's the map, it's the map. It's the, all right, so there we go. By the way, who wrote that song? Anyway, so this is the Sea of Galilee. And if you, for those that read your Bible, you, you know that this is where Jesus did most of his ministry. This is Capernaum. This is Tiberias. He did most of his ministry right in this area of the Sea of Galilee between 9 o'clock and 12 o'clock. There was a road that went all the way down the Dead Sea to Jericho. Jericho, you hang a left, you come over. Jerusalem's right there. So this is where Jesus did most of his ministry, right in here. It was right in here, right in this area right here. Caesarea Philippi is right here. In other words... He intentionally went there. It was between a three and four day walk to get to Caesarea Philippi. And it's all uphill. So when the Bible says that Jesus went to Caesarea Philippi, it was very intentional. He didn't accidentally go there. Like if I invited you over today, hey, come over to my house and you were a little late. I'm like, you're late. Why are you late? I accidentally went to Atlanta. Okay, then you're an idiot. If you accidentally went to Atlanta, because you don't accidentally go to Atlanta. You, it's between a two and 17-hour drive, depending on traffic, right? So, so Jesus intentionally goes out of the way. He goes out of his way for people that were considered out of the way. And then this happens. This happens. And we talked about this last week a little bit. Well, they said, some say John the Baptist, some say... Elijah and some say Jeremiah are one of the, pro- the other prophets. And this is what I think one of the things that the church we've, we've let go on for far too long, that we've let people in society and culture say some good things about Jesus but not actually acknowledge who Jesus is. I mean, people say he's a good man that lived a great life and taught some moral teachings, but I don't think he was the son of God. Well, if he wasn't the son of God, then we can't call him a good man because he taught that he was the son of God. We can't say he taught moral teachings because he taught things like I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Either Jesus was who he said he was or he's not who he said he was and there's an empty tomb that proves that Jesus Christ is exactly who he said he was. So at the end of the day, we can't let people just say good things about Jesus if they're not accurate. Jesus is not just a homeboy. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and the savior of the world. And that's where it all begins. And so so they're having this conversation and then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Remember we talked about that. Get your inner, inner circle. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of of the living God. Now, I want to pause real quick and say, 
when we read that, we just kind of gloss over it. But remember, Matthew's writing to a primarily Jewish audience. During this time period, in the ancient world, 2,000 years ago, whenever a child was born into a Jewish home, they were told about this person that was going to come along, named the, the Messiah. He was literally the hope of the world. He was going to change everything. He was going to be their savior. He was going to be their king. Anytime you heard the word Messiah, hope was automatically associated with it. And from the time they were born, they would hear the ancient prophecies talked about in the Old Testament about the Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah. So when Peter says, you are the Messiah, it's more than just a tag or a label. Peter is literally saying, I believe you are the hope of the world. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. Because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. In other words, God shared this with you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, and the rock is the statement that Peter made, that you are the Messiah. You're the hope of the world. That's our message, church, that Jesus is the hope of the world. That, that's our message. He said, on that rock, I will build my church. This is where Jesus started. Don't miss this. Jesus didn't go to Rome and start the church with a political infrastructure. He didn't go to Jerusalem and start the church with a religious infrastructure. He went to the messiest place on the planet with the messiest people on the planet. And he said, I'm going to start something that's going to impact the entire world, even the people that everybody else says there's no hope for. Caesarea Philippi. He said, I'm going to build my church. And all the powers of hell, what were they doing in the, in, the, in the temple? They thought the demons were ascending and descending. They thought this was a power. He said, yeah, yeah, those powers don't have a thing on the power that my church is going to have. Then he talks about the power that we have. Watch this. This is cool. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And I've had people ask me, Pastor P, what does that mean? I don't know, but it sounds cool, doesn't it? Sounds to me like the church has some power. Sounds to me like the church has the ability to make a difference in the world that we live in. It sounds to me like the church shouldn't be shutting down, but the church should be stepping up. And I just want to go on record and say it because I've said it in the other services to all the churches all over America, even in the states where the states say you can't meet, I say those churches need to meet. I say they should meet. I say we have freedom of religion in our country. And the church, America needs the church now more than ever before. Because, the, listen, has America gotten better in the past three to four months since the church hadn't been able to assemble? The churches have not been assembled. Government's been assembling. You tell me how it's going in our country today. I think we need the church now more than ever before. Not to stand on street corners and hold up signs and make a point, but to actually step out into a world that needs hope and peace and joy and make a difference like Jesus said we would 2,000 years ago. You know what cannot make a difference? You know what will not save this world? Politics. Politics. For those of you that are putting your hope in this next election, God help you. No matter what side you're on. Because let me ask a question. Can you pass a law 
against racism that actually changes a person's heart. No. We can pass laws against being racist all day long, but at the end of the day, racism is not in legislation. Racism is, a, is in a person's heart. How many more laws do we have to pass against drug usage in America? Let me ask you a question. Has legislation worked on getting rid of drugs? No. We've got a bigger drug problem in America than we've ever had. Politics isn't what's going to change the world. It's not going to... Listen, we can change the laws, but only Jesus can change a heart. Religion's not going to do it because religion talks about how good are you. I want to be a better person. Religion is into comparison. I was, I was talking to this girl not too long ago. I was inviting her to her church. And she was like, oh, she said, now tell me, tell me about your church. I said, we're called Second Chance. She went, y'all that church that meets up near Barberitos? I was like, that's us. That's us. Church in Mexican. We just, we got it all. We got it right there. We're good. We're good. She said, I could, I could never come to church. I said, why not? She said, I'm too messed up. I said, sweetheart, and I wasn't demeaning. I'm 49. I'm like a southern gentleman. That's just a term of endearment. That's the reason I said that. I, wouldn't, I said, sweetheart, let me promise you something. Any Sunday you walk in the doors of our church, I, as the pastor, am the most messed up person in the room. There's room for you. Because most of the people in our church years ago, traded in their judge's robe for a servant's towel. And that's how you make a difference in the world we live in today. And then she said, well, what do I wear? I said, clothes. <laughs> I mean, so far we ain't had no naked people show up. It'd be kind of weird. That's a way to get a free T-shirt, I guess. Here, put this on. <laughs> but I just, I, I don't know. But see, see, she asked that because we live in the South. And religious people would say, I can't believe she's wearing that. And Jesus would say, I'm just so glad she's here. That's, see, religion doesn't change the world. Religion actually, it actually makes us feel worse. And then movements. In Jesus' day, there was a movement called, um, there was a movement, a group of people called the Zealots. It was based in anger, and they were anti-government, and they went around killing Roman soldiers. They're not around today. I want you to listen to me, and this goes for any movement. Movements based in anger and rage always end badly, and they never bring about the desired change that the people that started the movement said they started it out for. These things don't change the world. The church, see, see these things right here, they're not coming. Nobody else is coming. That's why the church has to step up. Now, I've told you what we're supposed to do. How do we do it? How do we step up and step out into the world? Well, Jesus told us that too. In John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus is talking with his disciples. This is the night before he's crucified. They're sitting around the table having a conversation, and Jesus tells his disciples, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Pause. This was that statement right there, that statement right there, could have gotten Jesus killed. It actually did get him killed. 
Because he's, he's not saying, I'm giving you an additional commandment. Because they had 619. It's like, I can't even keep three things straight. And they got 619 commandments. Jesus didn't say, I'm giving you 619. He said, I'm giving you something new. In other words, what I'm about to tell you next replaces all the old stuff. I'm giving you something new. And they all got their pads and their pens out. They're leaning forward. They didn't have an iPhone yet. So they're all ready to kind of write it down. Okay, if you're giving us one thing, tell us this one thing that's going to replace all the old things. Love each other. Can I ask a, let me just ask a question. Do you know anybody that's hard to love? Yes or no? Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. No, no, you didn't have a point. I was just, ask, I was just asking. <laughs> All of us have people it's difficult to love. And, and, and even sometimes, have you ever just been in a bad mood and somebody just comes up on you and in that moment it's just hard to love that person? It has nothing to do with them because they have everything to do with you're in a bad mood. Say yes. That happened to me this week. I was at Chick-fil-A. I love me some Chick-fil-A. Love Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is great. Chick-fil-A has fast food, something Zaxby's hadn't had in 20 years. Zaxby's has slow food, all right? But um, I love Chick-fil-A. And so, but and I used to love going to Chick-fil-A. I always go through the drive-thru. I'm an introvert. I like to talk to the board. I like to talk to nobody. But then they stuck little people out there. And they got their little, little sun hats on and everything. And they got, welcome to Chick-fil-A. Can I take your order? And you tell them your order. And that's fine. I don't mind talking to the person. Tell them my order. But then they started this thing. They started this thing. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You know where I'm going with this. We're 10 feet later. Are you Perry? Yes. I was Perry 30 seconds ago, and I'm Perry right now. I still want the chicken sandwich with cheese and an extra ketchup. Thank you very much. And then they, well, I, I got to read this to you. And then 10 feet later, there she is again. I've already spoken to her twice, and this is the third time. We have a relationship now. And it, does anybody feel this frustration at Chick-fil-A? I love them. I know they're Christian chicken, but dear God. If you repeat, the other day I was at Chick-fil-A, Karis was with me, she could tell you this is true. The girl came back up to my window, I wouldn't look at her, I, I just, I, looked, I wouldn't roll it down. She said, what are you doing? I said, I am literally ghosting her right now, she does not exist. <laughs> when we left the other day, Karis was like, daddy, why are you like that? I was like, baby, I don't know. I said, sometimes, I said, sweetheart, you know I'm nice. She said, daddy, you are nice, but sometimes I think you forget you're nice. I was like, I have an excuse now. I, I'm sorry. If you, if you keep it up, I'm about to forget I'm nice. Like, like that, that's awesome. But, but, but just as I have love, he said, he said, love each other. And that's, that's kind of simple. It's kind of easy. Just love people. Just love. But so period, should we get hippie robes and light some candles and all that? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Because he didn't just leave that out there. He said, just as I have loved you. That changes everything. Can you imagine him locking eyes with Matthew? Matthew, who he, by the way, when, when Jesus called Matthew, he was in the act of sinning. In the act of sinning. That would be like walking up to a drug dealer in the middle of a drug deal and Jesus going, hey, can see you're making some money. When you're done with that, come follow me. This is exactly what it was like. I can imagine him locking eyes with James and John, who one time wanted to call fire down on the city and blow it up. A little impulsive. Jesus is like, 
just like I loved you, even when you were idiots. I can see him looking in the eyes with Peter, going, I know, I know you're going to deny me, Peter. I'm going to come after you, not to get you back, but to bring you back, because I love you. I know you're going to doubt me, Thomas, but I loved you. I'm going to love you enough to show up in your doubt and show you who I really am. Jesus said, love people like that. And by the way, let me, let me just say this, and I didn't even say this in the 830 service, and I felt bad. I told the last service about it. Most of us don't have a problem believing that Jesus can love other people, but we have a hard time believing Jesus can love us. Anybody ever wrestle with that? Just, just a little hand raise? Yeah. Some of you are like, I, don't, I am God's favorite. Okay. <laughs> You're probably not going to make it here. And, it's so funny. God taught, me, God taught me a lesson this week through my dog, Chance. If you've ever followed me on social media, Chance is um, famous. Karis wants me to create an Instagram account for Chance, and I'm like, no, I've, no, I'm not going to do it because i got enough stuff to deal with on my own. But I love my dog. I love my dog. If, if you don't know, Chance is almost two years old. He's a golden doodle. Um, and I, somebody asked me one time, aren't golden doodles expensive? Yes, they are. But when you have a $40 million net worth like I have, I'm just, you know what, next week, next week, T-shirts and golden doodles for everybody. We're just making it rain up in here. Anyway, if you weren't here last week, go back and watch the message. It's a joke. I don't have $40 million. But, but, but people say, do you love your dog? Yeah, I love my dog. I really do. It's, it's, un, like it's unreal how much I love this dog. And it's not because he's made my life better. He hasn't. Yeah, he's cute, but he hasn't made my, he, right, listen, he's chewed up my couch. I've got to get a new couch. You know why? Because just about two months ago, he decided, wow, there's this big chew toy that I should chew. So I came home one day, and there's stuffing all over the floor. And people go, oh, he's got separation anxiety. No, he's a freaking dog, and he chewed up my couch. That's not cool. I got in the shower one Sunday. I got out. He had peed on my bed, not beside the bed on the bed. And people have said, oh, but he's a dog. Okay, I'll come to your house this afternoon, take a pee on your bed, and y'all can be like, oh, he's got some issues. No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't love him because he's made my life better. I just love him. He didn't do anything. I just love him, you know. So this week, this week, I asked him, did he want to go outside? And he, get, he knows a few words, and so he gets super excited. I said, you want to go outside? And so I said, you want to go outside? He's on top of the couch, like on the very back part, and he leaps off the couch. And as soon as he hits the ground, he fell wrong, and he twisted his little paw. And when he did, he went, arr, arr, arr. And I was like, oh, 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 911. Should I call? I don't know. <laughs> and he's a dog. So we go outside, and he's kind of limping. And I listen, y'all, I've got, I, I, I pretend I'm tough, but I got a soft heart. And I'm like, like, oh, my God, do I take him to a vet? Or, and it's funny, God spoke to me in that moment. I'm not making this up. He said, you love your dog. Yeah, I love my dog. I mean, I love my dog. Not giving me any reason to love him. And God spoke to me and said, why is it so hard for you to believe I love you? When you can love a dog. See, the grace of God is not just true for some people. It's true for all people, including those of us that have a hard time loving ourselves. Jesus said, 
just as I have loved you. Well, you should love each other. The, the out-of-the-way love. The even-when-you-don't-deserve-it love. Did the people at Caesarea Philippi deserve the love of God? No. They deserve, like, the wrath of God if you're going, like, strict fundamentalism. But they got the love of God. Jesus said, just like I've... And then he said this. Then he said this. Your love for one another, not your doctrinal statements, not the number of Bible verses that you memorize, but your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Your love for one another, you being willing to go out of your way for people that other people have written off. He said, that's going to prove to the world that you belong to me. Not standing on a street corner and screaming, but putting a serving towel over your arm and stepping into a society that desperately needs hope, joy, and peace. Out of the way. You know, I, I realized this when I was in treatment. I, I, if you've ever been in any sort of treatment, um, hell on earth is the best way to describe it. Just hell on earth. About two weeks in, they allowed us to have access to our devices for a couple times a day and 20, 30 minutes, and they could read everything. It was awesome as a you know, 40-something-year-old man to have somebody looking over your shoulder the entire time. I had a friend named Chris. I have a friend named Chris who lives in Tennessee. It was like a Wednesday or Thursday. He texted me and said, can you have visitors? I texted him back like, LOL, yeah, but like who's going to come out? Like this is Arizona. And I'm, I said, yeah, on Sundays from 2 to 6. He texted me back almost immediately and said, I'll be there this Sunday. And Sunday morning he got on a plane to Nashville, flew to Phoenix, got off the plane in Phoenix, rented a car, drove to Tucson just to spend four hours with me. When he left, I remember thinking, now that's, that's the kind of love that Jesus would give. Out of his way for a messy person. See, this is what I believe. I believe with all my heart, if the church would embrace this message, it changes the world. You know why? Because if the church embraces this right here, racism ends because if we love one another like Jesus said to love one another we look at somebody and we don't see the color of their skin we see the condition of their heart this right here ends racism this right here ends human trafficking because we no longer look at people as objects but rather human beings that have a heart and a soul this right here puts an end to depression and anxiety because people aren't scared to raise a hand and say I need some help we aren't scared to be labeled this right here puts an end to addiction because people who are addicted can stand and say I need some help I need something in my life it's something that causes us to actually stand up and declare that Jesus is Lord and he is the hope of the world